With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Dan Lloyd. Welcome to another special edition of Double Stint. I'm John DeGeese, joined by Daniel Lloyd, who is trackside at Lamar. The final practice of the day on Thursday is close to wrapping up. We're just under two hours to go as at the time of recording this. It's been a busy day, Dan. How are you holding up? Uh, I'm, I'm still going. Yeah, I'm still going. It's been a very, very busy day, as you said, John. Um, we've had um, well, we're coming up to having almost 11 hours of track action, which is a marathon in itself, and we haven't even got to the race yet. Um, we we had it all really. We had daytime practice. We had plenty of time to for the teams and drivers to get accustomed to the conditions, and then they were sort of thrust into qualifying after a couple of practice sessions, and that set the te- set part of the grid, set up who was going to be in hyperpole tomorrow. Uh, and now we're just going through the night practice, which is crucial for drivers who need to conduct their five uh, mandatory night laps. And uh, I tell you what, it is absolutely fantastic just peering out the window of the press room and seeing the cars flying by. It's 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 goosebumps, fans or not. It's an absolutely fantastic sight to see them out there. Yeah, I'm sure I'm definitely missing it here being back in Chicago trying to follow things from afar. But today's news obviously was uh, that Toyota has um, provisionally scored Uh, with the number seven TSO 50 hybrid of um, Kamui Kobayashi um, reeling in a three minute 17.089 second lap time in qualifying earlier today. But ultimately that lap doesn't count as all those times set from the top six competitors in each of the classes will be advancing to the new um, qualifying format called Hyperpole. That'll be tomorrow. It's more of a a shootout style uh, uh, qualifying session to sort of try to entice some more dramatic uh, moments. And we saw that today. Um, You know, obviously LMP1, there was really not much drama because there's only five cars in the class. So all of those cars advance. But um, we saw some great scraps for for P2, uh, GTEM in particular, of of trying to get some of those teams in to- inside the top six so they advance for uh, the hyperpole tomorrow. Definitely, I think LMP1 was, as you said, it was a given because all cars were guaranteed to get in. So even so, even though both Toyotas managed to run fairly in unison with laps in the low 317s, I think there could there could still be more there when they go for the headline run in Hyperpole. I presume they, they could have just used qualifying as an extra bit of a practice session to maybe try try a couple of things out. But um, no, as you said, it, it was the, the real... Uh, this system really benefited the other classes and it created some genuine excitement with um, with the uncertainty of who was going to make it. I mean, if you think about it, we in uh, LMP2, we had 22 cars taking part in qualifying. Only six could make it. So it was a real dogfight. And obviously that meant that some really, really good teams missed out on Hyperpole and missed out on the chance to start on the front row in class, um, which is... Okay, it's a 24-hour race. It perhaps doesn't mean too much, but it could be crucial in terms of staying out of trouble and and, uh, keeping your nose clean, which is obviously so vital. Um, So, yeah, as you said, there there was some uh, drama there, a few cars that perhaps you might have considered to be... um, Hyperpole contenders perhaps not making it. The 38 Jota car was uh, the closest one to the cut in LMP2. We saw Racing Team Netherland steam ahead with Nick de Vries, who uh, went almost half a second clear in that uh, Oracle 07 Gibson. So uh, de Vries, obviously, he, maybe he thought that today's qualifying session was the actual qualifying because he went pretty quickly. But um, no, he, he's got to do it all again for Hyperpole. But, uh, and uh, looking further down the grid, you've got GTE Pro and GTM. It's certainly been so far, at least today, at least. Aston Martin has has been the strongest manufacturer 
in GTE Pro in qualifying, they were first and second, and they did exactly the same thing in GTE and with the customers. So um, the the second generation Vantage GTE package certainly working. Uh, and let's not forget, this is the first time that the customers of the Vantage GTE have been running that car at Le Mans. Um, it, as, as it seems that they've been running it forever, but they haven't actually driven on this circuit with that package and they're right at the top of the timing charts beating the Porsches and the Ferraris so I think a real statement there for Aston let's see how it translates into Hyperpole uh, which is only of course a small part of this weekend but um, certainly if you're going on on pure one lap pace uh, certainly I think the Astons have really turned a few heads here yeah absolutely and I know Porsche was strong in free practice too but um, Aston may have not been showing as much there so definitely some dynamics to watch for in, 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 the, in the GTE Pro class. Um, what about GTE AM? Like, like you've said Dan um, uh, the customers having the, the new gen car for the first time, the 98 Aston, Paul Dalilana, Ross Gunn, Augusto Farfus on provisional pole if you want to call it but um, some good, a good, great run from TF Sport as well. Yeah absolutely and, and in the end it was two factory assets of the Aston Martin pool who, who got those laps in. Ross Gunn in the 98 uh, he led free practice one for the 98 crew, and I think he was, I think it was the fourth, fourth or fifth quickest in GTE outright. So he's obviously, uh, obviously trying to prove something there, and is and is really dialed into the package here around this track. But Charlie Eastwood as well followed up just behind Ross Gunn in the in the TF Sport car. Um, I think those two could be real contenders if they pick up keep, keep up that kind of pace. I mean, they've got they've got strong bronze drivers. Paul Dallalana and Sally Yolok have been racing throughout the WEC season. I think that's a factor that's going to really play into this event, actually, having uh, experience over the course of the, the season and, and, and having races under your belt recently, particularly Spa. I've noticed in LMP2 as well, it's the... It's the, the full season entries in the World Endurance Championship that's sort of rising to the top. And and with the short preparation times we've had, I think those guys might be able to sort of adapt quicker and plug in quicker and therefore get the uh, more impressive lap times early on. So in, in both of the uh, in, in both of the sort of pro-am categories, I think we, we, we've been seeing that and will probably continue to see that in the early stages of the race so that's another interesting thing to look out for but now as you, as you said John uh, in GTEM it's been the Astons at the top and uh, certainly the, the other teams will be scratching their heads and talking to their manufacturers to see what they can uh, get in turn to try and reverse that. Yeah, and up front, I know it's no surprise to see Toyota 1-2 in, in qualifying right now, but the gap between them and Rebellion, is it, is it something to, to worry about right now, or is it still early days? It, it's it's really hard to tell, as always. I mean, the, the gap in qualifying was, was pretty astronomical. I mean, four and a half seconds is the sort of gap you'd expect between classes, let alone between uh, individual cars within a class. But again, I, I don't think in LMP1 qualifying was was necessarily uh, representative at all. Um, I, I think we're getting more of an idea of where the rebellions are um, in night practice. I mean, so far looking up at the timing screens, they've been, they've been bringing the times down into the 319s, low 319s, which is not... It's still it's still off what the Toyotas were at though, but it's it's at least the R13 showing a bit of pace. I think coming in, you've got to see Toyota as the overwhelming favourites. They top the session so far. Um, they they do have the stint length advantage taken away, which I, which we mentioned yesterday. But um, even so, it, it's been a strong strong performance so far, and and it, it's it's sort of testament to the package Toyota's got. The fact that it's coming into its fifth Le Mans. It, it, it's got everything there. This is sort of as, as experienced as that car and as those drivers will ever get. So, um, yeah, they're, 
they are still the ones to beat. The advantages of the car seem to be quite apparent in the practice sessions. Let's see what happens in Hyperpole. That might give a better idea of where the differences might lie over the course of a stint, particularly at the start of the race. Yeah, and I think some some of the biggest drama of the day came in LMP2 with the pair of Edex Sport Oricas crashing in, in free practice too. Um, both drivers, Paul Lafargue and um, Dwight Merriman, were okay, although both cars are now in a bit of a race against the clock to get rebuilt. Um, what's the latest uh, from, from the French squad? Well, it, it would be tough enough for one team to have one of its cars in an accident, but for a team to have both of its cars in the same session, um, not, not even one of the earliest sessions, is, is a real tough ask. And, and uh, Edex Sport are, are going to be, um, it's going to be a late night. If there is any night at all, I think it's just going to have to be flat out work for the next several hours before they can get on track again. Um, no, it, it, it was a it was a tough loss for both of them. The, the accidents happened in quick succession. Paul Lafargue went off at the second Mulzan chicane. Um, it, quite quite heavy front end damage actually, and they're going to have to replace the tub on that one. The 17 car Dwight Merriman went off on sort of the the other end of the circuit. Um, he he walked away from the incident as did Lafargue, but um, I I don't think from what I'm hearing the damage on the 17 perhaps isn't as bad. But I suppose the crucial thing is that for the drivers they don't get their night laps in in pre-practice free because there wasn't enough time to to uh, repair the cars that raises the question of how to edex Sport approach it to the organizers you'd have to imagine there's some kind of force majeure there if if the cars are able to be replaced and oh sorry not replaced but um but repaired in mm-hmm. time and one of them with a replaced tub but um yeah so it's a real conundrum there and and even if they can get the cars up and running and onto the grid particularly the 28 which is the reigning european le mans series champion car um, which has, has a real real quick lineup in it and it and includes Paul Loup Chatan who's taken pole here at Le Mans in, in recent years. For, for that to be on the back foot is just really tough no matter if you know whether or not they can get onto the grid and start the race. It, that kind of setback early in the weekend can really knock you um, and they're going to be playing catch up all the way through. So you know it's a shame for Edex Sport because they seem to have a strong operation. They came here with two great looking cars, big uh, big number of mechanics and people supporting them, I can tell. But um, yeah, real tough one. It's going to really test the team's spirit and metal as they uh, get into Friday, which is going to be a big, big push for them. Yeah, and looking to Friday, we actually have on-track action on Friday, which is, I think, a first. I, I don't remember having that in recent history, and this is part of this condensed um, schedule with, with nearly 11 hours of track time today. Um, free practice four in the morning, just one hour, and then straight into hyperpole. That doesn't leave much room for error there either um, for, for teams to really get into the groove of things, and, and obviously that'll be the final hour of final significant running for any of these teams teams because um, we have we have after the hyper poll you have warm-up on Saturday morning which is only a 15-minute session this year yeah no that, that's exactly it it's it's really getting into minimal runtime now I mean if you don't get what you wanted to do done on Thursday then you're really going to be struggling uh, later in in the weekend and into the race I mean I, I almost I almost think that some teams might be okay not being in hyperpole as well because it just it does add an element of risk and okay you get you get a, a couple of free sets of tires to to run with and and you don't eat into your main allocation there but at the same time you are pushing at the at what's supposed to be the very very limit of what your drivers and cars are able to do who's to say that we're going to we're, that we're not going to see an accident or or someone make a mistake or something like that in hyperpole it, it, when you're on the limit at that kind of level at this kind of track it is certainly 
can be opened up as a possibility. So I can't help but think some of the teams that finished in LMP2, let's say in 7th, 8th, 9th, your Jotas, your G-Drive by Algarve, your Panis Racing, your Signatec Alpines are not going to be too displeased with where they're starting because they can... They don't have to worry about the potential for something going wrong in hyperpole. The way a lot, the way they might see it is, the more time you're on track, the more time for risk. As long as they've got everything done on Thursday, they'll be okay. Well, a busy day of track action is nearly coming to the end. We have a, just about an hour and a half left in night practice session. Lots to look forward to tomorrow on and off the track. We've talked about the, the track sessions with Hyperpole and everything, but also expecting quite a few announcements. Um, Peugeot, the annual ACO press conference, which is going to be in a virtual video format. Um, I guess there's, it's going to be another busy day uh, for multiple in multiple areas. Well, that, that's Friday at Le Mans, isn't it? I mean, we 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 sort of become used to this. That the, the the ACO usually has a big press conference where um, you can see all sorts of big names from around um, sports car racing. Also, legends from the past like to attend to it. It, re- it really is a highlight in the sports car racing calendar, and hard to sort of uh, overestimate it really because it, it it's where sort of it's where people create create decisions discussions and it's a hugely important part of the year but this year obviously everything's different for reasons i won't go into and it's going to be a, a sort of online format and, and we're going to learn learn about the future of endurance racing that way we've got a few ideas of what's going to be coming up um we discussed earlier um we've discussed before that the calendar is due for 2021 we've already got a bit of an idea of what we're going to see on it it's going to be six rounds it's going to be starting at sebring in march i think that you know that's been given for quite a while but a few more gaps to fill in there and obviously as you said john we've got peugeot announcing what they're going to be doing and uh, we'll be sure to uh, I'll put the questions forward to the executives there with what they announced, which we believe will be um, a, a direction in, in Le Mans hypercar, which hadn't been too certain for Peugeot, actually, um, in, in recent months. I know that uh, uh, Jean-Marc Fino had said to us a, a little while ago now, actually, but um, at a key stage of the program early in the coronavirus pandemic, that, that they were weighing up options of doing LMDH in Le Mans hypercar. So it could be sort of a real watershed moment in, in the progress of either of those categories because Peugeot has to make a decision and it's going to announce it tomorrow. So, um, yeah, lots to be uh, interested in, invested in. And, uh, yeah, we'll be doing our best to make sure we get every angle covered and uh, ask all the questions that need to be asked uh, and uh, get every, get everything down because there's so much to get down. In addition to the track action, it's going to be absolutely crazy tomorrow but we're looking forward to it yeah absolutely and looking at uh, hopefully a confirmation of the lmdh regulations as well um, with the single supplier hybrid system and whether that platform will debut um, in 2022 or whether it'll be pushed back a year or later um, i think that's critical to peugeot's decision as well so lots to cover um, lots of stories um, keep it tuned to sports car 365 for the latest we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of double stint at loma um, recapping hyperpole and everything that happened with the announcements away from the track as well. Um, For Dan, I'm John. We'll talk to you later.